Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Deverell, and today I'm joined by Matt Corey of BP Boston. Um, you can find Matt on Twitter at, at MattyMatty2000. Uh, Matt, welcome back to the podcast. It has been since late June that we have spoken, um, and trade season has officially been kicked off today by the uh, Cubs and the White Sox in a very big way. Um, the Cubs ended up with Jose Quintana, um, where the uh, White Sox got another extremely impressive haul of young prospects. Um, this could potentially be the biggest deal of the trade deadline, um, which is kind of funny that it happened first. Hi. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is a, a, a very interesting deal, especially uh, because of where the Cubs are, I think. Um, you know, Quintana is a, a, a good pitcher. Um, he's not having a great year, but, um, you know, over the last several seasons, he's been, you know, top 20 pitcher in baseball, probably, depending on how you grade these things. Um, but the Cubs are not in the typical place that you would expect them to give up their two best prospects and some other guys to make a, an addition like this. Um, they're... I forget. I don't have it in front of me, but they're like, you know, five and a half behind the Brewers uh, in the Central. And then they're even further out of the wild card um, behind the Rockies, I think. So, you know, I, I guess uh, they must think that they're going to play better. Um, their their defense has not been anywhere near at the level that they were at last year, which was, you know, historical. So I think it was uh, a relatively easy guess to say they were going to um, not be quite as good this season, but they've been nowhere near as good this season. Um, you know, and a lot of their young hitters have, have kind of uh, taken steps back also. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's For- certainly a, a big um, big leap of faith um, to take in all of their position players that they are all going to work out as they expect. I mean, it's certainly you're dealing from a position of strength. There's probably no... Um, group of young players, young position players in the game um, that you would like to have more than the the group that the Cubs have. It's, I think, maybe debatable with the Red Sox, who have a pretty nice group of young players themselves. But um, it's sort of interesting because, especially in a year where you're having guys like Kyle Schwarber um, not perform whatsoever, um, to say, like, hey, he's going to be our left fielder of the future regardless of what this complete freak of nature Eloy Jimenez is doing behind him in the minor leagues. It's It, it certainly is a, sort of a, a gamble on Theo's part there that all these guys are going to work out the way that he thinks. Well, they, they all don't have to work out. Just enough of them, you know? Um, and Jimenez, you know, to be fair, is, is 20 years old in high A. Uh, and, you know, he's having a good season just like he had last year, just like he had the year before. Uh, but I don't think he's ready to help the, the Cubs now. I mean, the, n- none of the guys. Um, I mean, actually, this is sort of uh, current through, um, you know, all the White Sox trades that they've that they've made. Um, you know, they, they've acquired players. Um, you know, they've traded major league assets for minor league assets, essentially. Um, you know, that's that's what one of the reasons the Red Sox were able to make the Chris Sale deal. They were asked for Ben Benintendi. Um, they were asked for Jackie Bradley Jr. They said no to both of those. Um, and, you know, but, but they were, Dombrowski was okay in, in dealing, you know, the best prospect in baseball um, in Yon Moncada and, um, you know, w- one of the Red Sox best prospects, um, you know, a, certainly a top 100 prospect at the time um, in Michael Kopech plus other guys. So, um, you know, it, as, as long as it didn't hurt the major league roster, I think, you know, good players were on the table as far as Dombrowski is concerned. And, you know, the White Sox aren't going in. This fits, um, you know, well, certainly well for them. Um, my only issue is, you know, how great is Quintana and, um, you know, how great are the Cubs? <laughs> but uh, I guess those, those, uh, those things will play out over time. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how that whole situation shakes out. And regardless, I mean, if you look up and down at that Cubs lineup with Zobris, Bryant, Rizzo, Hap, Schwarber, Contreras, Hayward, and Russell, uh, 
they're not exactly going to be crying about any of the bets that have left the building. So certainly is uh, an enviable place to be in um, those guys. But the Red Sox are in a pretty good position themselves right now as we look towards the second half, which is going to get kicked off tomorrow. On Friday, uh, the Red Sox sit three and a half games up on the remainder of the division with the second best record in the American League. Um, And uh, per Alex Spear, who does excellent work, uh, he pointed out some really interesting things about the Red Sox second half schedule. Um, The Red Sox are actually going to play 42 of their remaining 73 games uh, at home after playing um, the second most games of any team on the road in the first half, 56% of those games on the road. Uh, The interesting thing about that is that the Red Sox have been about a 500 team, an exactly 500 team, uh, on the road, but they've played uh, 641 baseball winning percentage-wise at home. So uh, even if the Red Sox didn't do anything at the deadline, it seems like they could be in line for a pretty big push this second half of the season with the favorable schedule. Yeah, they, I, I agree with that. Um, and you're definitely right about uh, Alex Spear. He's, he's fantastic. Um, I, I think that uh, there's a number of guys that you, know, you can look at on the, on the Red Sox um, and you know, think that you know, we haven't seen the best of them yet. Um, and there's a few guys where you can definitely say, you know, there's some overperformance happening too. Um, I can think of, uh, three, um, for each really off the top of my head. Um, but there actually is one other thing that occurs to me about the Quintana deal. I know you transitioned well off of that, but, um, it's as far as the Red Sox go, um, it's notable that Quintana is no longer in the American league and, and didn't get traded to any of the teams in the American league that might want his services, you know, yeah, namely absolutely. The, the Astros. Yeah. Or the Yankees who, who figured to, you know, to directly compete with the Red Sox, um, you know, in the AL East. Um, I, I would say those, the fact that those two teams didn't get him is probably a win for the Red Sox. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as, as far as, uh, I mean, did you want to discuss like individual players? Or you just want to talk about the team because I was about to go off on individual players, but we don't no, have to. No, yeah, Let, let's talk about individual players because I think you're right. There, there certainly have been a number of Red Sox that have overperformed in the first half, and a number of guys who have underperformed in the first half. Um, give me your list of of three players right off the top of your head who you think uh, overperformed in the first half. Uh, well, I would start with Joe Kelly. Um, I, I don't think that his underlying stats um, show, you know, if you look at his ERA, um, you know, he's 149 right now. It's a sparkling, beautiful uh, uh, ERA, but uh, he's doing it with a, a low strikeout rate and a high walk rate. Um, you know, his, his strand percentage, the number of batters he's left on base is – uh, supernaturally high. Um, you know, if you look at basically, if you look at any of his numbers, um, aside from his ERA, he is not this good. He's not pitching this good. Now that's not to say he couldn't pitch better. Um, but since we've never really seen for any extended period of time, Joe Kelly pitched really well. Um, I'm not expecting, um, you know, greatness or even continued goodness out of him. And I, I think the home run that he, gave up to, you know, to lose that last game of the first um, half before the All-Star break is, is a sign of things to come. I, I, don't, uh, I don't feel very confident with him, um, with him there at all. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre, too, because he's taken such a step back in strikeouts. Uh, less, he's almost four strikeouts per nine fewer um, than he was last year with the Red Sox over 40 innings. I, I don't know, like what's what's been the change? Have you noticed anything in particular with with Kelly? Uh, I haven't really studied it to be honest with you, but he doesn't seem to have a put away pitch. He seems to be able to get to two strikes, um, and then he, you know, we've, we've seen these repeated long at bats from him where you know guys foul pitches off, foul pitches off, foul pitches off, and he's throwing 101, 102. Um, but that just doesn't get it done. Guys can get their bats on that if you don't have anything to keep it, keep them off of it. Um, and he doesn't have the deception or movement in that pitch um, to make it a winning pitch on its own. 
So he needs the combination of other pitches to move, uh, you know, to, to slow batters' bats, to change their eye levels, to do all that sort of stuff that will, um, you know, help obscure his fastball. And and it's not working for him. Um, so I, I I would say that his problem is a, is a lack of secondary stuff. I mean, it's also it, he's Joe Kelly. It's kind of a lack of command. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think part of the issue with moving Joe Kelly to the bullpen. Um, you know, people thought, oh, well, his um, his velocity will play up in the bullpen. Well, his velocity was already great as a starter. Like that was never the issue. You know, I, I get the sense that Joe Kelly could, uh, you know, could throw 108 and it really wouldn't matter. Um, guys are just going to get their bats on the ball because there's there's no deception and no movement on that pitch. And, you know, he doesn't throw, um, you know, any decent off speed pitch that that fools anybody. So, um, I, I think, uh, I think that's, that's really the issue, um, there. Yeah, certainly. He's certainly not somebody the Red Sox are going to be able to rely on in big high leverage spots. If he continues to pitch this way in the second half, um, I assume that one of the other guys on your list has, has got to be Mitch Moreland, right? With the way that he's performed in the first half. Yeah. Uh, I would not expect Moreland to be as good as he was in the first half. That said, you know, the underlying numbers are not awful. His walk rate is up. His strikeout rate is down. Um, you know, uh, I, I think he's going to probably be a slightly lesser version of his first half self, which is totally fine, really. I mean, probably overall maybe a league average to slightly below hitter, um, you know, and, and that's more or less what they're paying him to be. Um, you know, he is not Anthony Rizzo or – um, you know, Freeman or, you know, name your, your great first baseman. Um, he's a $5 million guy who had a sub 300 on base percentage last year. I think the Red Sox need to be happy with what they got here. That said, the, the talk about how he's, you know, the Red Sox MVP is, I mean, mind bogglingly stupid. Uh, he's nowhere, nowhere close to the, the Red Sox MVP. Um, I mean, if you were to make a top 10 list, he probably wouldn't even be on it for me. Um, but that said, he's, you know, he's been a perfectly fine guy. Um, I, I feel like first base is a place where the Red Sox can can really improve, um, you know, over, over the offseason or in the coming years. Um, and, and I think uh, the talk of signing Mitch Moreland to an extension is asinine. Uh, yeah, but, it's, it's a little overblown for a guy who currently rates – 22nd best by baseball prospectus war among third baseman, uh, first baseman this year. Yeah. I mean, again, he's been a perfectly fine guy. You know, he's, he's getting on base almost 35% of the time, you know, slugging percentage is, is fine. Um, you know, his walk rate is good as long as he maintains, you know, some doubles power and a decent walk rate and, and plays acceptable defense at first base. That's great. Given where the Red Sox are, uh, with the rest of their lineup, um, I think the danger with Mitch Moreland is that he becomes last year's Mitch Moreland, um, you know, right as the Red Sox are trying to make a run. Um, but because of how good he's been on, in the first half, you know, which again is not great, but is fine. Um, I think that he is, uh, you know, there's no chance the Red Sox are going to replace him. They're not going out looking for a first baseman. No, and and if they need one, they have one on the roster in the form of Sam Travis that can do probably exactly what Moreland can do offensively. Hopefully. I mean, I think that's the, uh, you know, that's the idea, right? Is that, you know, Travis can, can play a, a cromulent first base, um, can hit 250 with a 330 on base percentage, you know, get some doubles, pop an occasional home run. Um, I don't know that he's the long-term answer at first base, um, but, you know, depending on how the offseason uh, plays out, uh you know, he may be the starter next year. Uh, then again, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all if, if he were, uh, you know, one of the players dealt, uh, you know, in the next week or two, uh, Mitch Moreland. No, no. Uh, uh Travis. Oh, Travis. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, wow, that would, that would shock me. <laughs> no, yeah, not trading. Moreland. No, no, but, um... but it's definitely see them trading Travis. I think he's probably, um, you know, one of the most likely guys to get traded. See, I would be really surprised if they traded Travis in the upcoming week. I feel like 
they need young cost controllable players like that who can impact the team and especially with the uncertainty around uh hanley ramirez's performance um and the fact that mitch moreland is still dealing with that toe injury to some degree i yeah. i kind of think they need him they, they might not trade him i mean but you know as far as cost certainty goes i mean the red sox went out and got moreland for five million dollars for a year you know i they can get first baseman it's not you don't have to spend 20 million dollars a year um you know on a first baseman mm. so i wouldn't i don't think sam travis is some great uh cost controlled savings guy um so but anyway um who else made your list um in terms of overperformers uh shoot who else did i have um i just had it out well, I was going to say uh, Matt Barnes is the other one. Um, you know, Barnes is, is – uh, he's, he's Joe Kelly uh, with the strikeout rate you think Joe Kelly would have, but also a higher walk rate, which is kind of painful to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's been victimized a little bit by home runs, maybe a little bit more than you would like, but he's such a fastball-heavy guy, and he's throwing up in the zone. Uh, so there's there's that too. Um, I – I probably shouldn't say Barnes is overperformed. This is probably what he is. Yeah, uh, 357 ERA with some home run troubles and a little bit of control issues. Yeah, I, I feel like that's exactly him. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, oh, I know what the other the other guys I was gonna say uh, is. Uh, how do you say it? Lin, Sue oh. Lin. Yep. Sue Lin and. Um, you could say Devin Marrero, but oh, have you looked at his slash line? I, that's hard to imagine overperforming. Uh, he's hitting 225 with a 266 on base percentage and a 349 slugging percentage, which comes from those two home runs that he hit on the same day. He, uh, he did have a really good last week before the All Star break. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. He seems to have learned how to hit fastballs the other way, uh, kind of slap them over the second baseman's head. I've noticed uh, him doing that a lot more in the last couple of weeks, these sort of outside pitches. It's almost the uh, Xander Bogart's method of, of hitting. Um, and I think it suits him a lot better than it suits Xander Bogart's to be honest. But, um, but anyway, so I, I him and uh, Sue Lin are, are the, you know, the sort of um, amazing combination at third base that, uh, you know, he's going to save the Red Sox. Uh, but, I just I don't know, man. I I don't see it. Sue Lin has a 4.48 BABIP right now. Um, Aaron Judge can do it. Well, right. <laughs> I, I, I think that's actually a really interesting comparison because their their BABIPs are really close. Well, um, they like, have considerable differences in their exit velocity. Exactly. <laughs> if you look at what the way Lin hits the ball and the way Judge hits the ball. You can look at Judge and go, all right, well, I sort of see why he has a 450 on a, a BABIP, right? Um, he's crushing the ball. Lynn hits line drives, but, you know, and he's been hitting well, admittedly. He's hitting well and he's taking walks. His performance, I don't want to take anything away from him. His performance has been fantastic, um, but I don't think he's this good. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. So I I think that uh, he's probably the another guy, you know, I, I think you uh, – you know, you thank your lucky stars for the 15 games and 50 plate appearances, you know, that he's that he's uh, given the Red Sox. And, you know, you don't don't worry about running him out there, um, you know, in the near future. But but I do think that there are better players, um, you know, who can man that position outside the organization. And, and I'm really hoping that Dombrowski is able to get one of them. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think he will. Um, it Another interesting note about Devin Marrero is just anecdotally watching him, it seems to me that he has also figured out how to hit curveballs. Uh, I have seen him absolutely wallop a few curveballs, which is kind of interesting. And I have no idea whether he's always had a comfort with breaking pitches and whether it's been fastballs that have challenged him. I really haven't looked into it, but I've really seen him get a hold of some curveballs in the last uh, couple weeks of baseball. Well, the two home run game that he he had, I think both of his home runs came on curveballs. So maybe there's something there. Maybe I mean, well, you know, it makes sense in a way. Guys who have slower bats, who have mm-hmm. who maybe trouble with 
um, you know, elite to, to plus speed, um, you know, as far as fastballs go, um, it, it makes sense that they would be able to hit off-speed stuff. And that, or even more so that they would be looking for off-speed stuff. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all if Marrero were up there going, throw me a curveball, throw me a curveball, throw me a curveball. <laughs> Said um, almost no one ever. Well, <laughs> if you're looking for it and it's not, you know, a crazy elite pitch like, you know, uh, a Craig Kimbrell kind of pitch, it's not impossible to say you could line it into center or left for a single. Sure. Um, yeah. So, um, well, but uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you finished your point. No, no, I did. I did. Oh, okay. Uh, I was just going to say, well, I, I guess this is probably a good opening for us to start talking about some of those interesting uh, options that could be out there. And maybe what we can do later in the podcast is kind of circle back around to um, some of the guys that we think will perform considerably better in the second half Sounds uh, good. because we've it. set things up for this. So let's, let's dive right into it. Um, the first name I want to start off with, well, let me, let's, let's preface this a little bit. Dave Dombrowski has said that he is not going to address the starting rotation. He feels pretty comfortable with that. And I've, feel like that's a really good thing because the starting rotation has really stabilized itself. Um, sale is sale. Uh, Pomerantz has been excellent his last 10 starts or so. Uh, seems to have really figured things out since he started throwing the cutter. Um, we have Eduardo Rodriguez making his way back from the disabled list. Uh, we have Drew, uh, sorry, uh, Rick Porcello, who has really had a couple of very encouraging starts. Uh, his last few times out. So it's certainly not the place where we're going to add, but from listening to you talk about two of the guys who maybe overperformed in the first half who are due for some regression, uh, you mentioned two right-handed relievers on the team. So relief pitcher is going to be someplace where the Sox will at least shop around. And third base is the most glaring spot. So the guy who I kind of thought the Red Sox were going to go after for uh, most of the last few weeks was Mike Musakis, but all indications are now that um, the Royals, being just a game and a half out of the last wild card spot, are going to keep that group intact. They think that it's worth it to see if they can get one more run out of this team. Um, I certainly disagree with that, and I'd love to see a left-handed bat like his on the Red Sox, but it seems like he is not going to be an option. Uh, I'm going to list off a few of the names of some guys. And uh, I want to hear from you who you think are some of the most interesting options. Uh, Todd Frazier is still a name that's out there, probably the most obvious solution. Uh, Eduardo Nunez is out there, Josh Harrison, Martin Prado, oddly enough, um, Howie Kendrick, Yunel Escobar, Jed Lowry, Yanger Vistolarte, um, and a few longer-term options, potentially, Eugenio Suarez, Nick Castellanos, uh, Michael Franco, um, Josh Donaldson. I think those last four that I named are probably not where the Red Sox are going to look because this team with Devers waiting in the wings um, is probably looking for just a one-year rental. So so what direction do you think that they go in? Yeah, I agree with, with that last statement that you made. I, I think, um, well, I, I think one of two things happens. Um, I think either the Red Sox trade Devers this uh this deadline and they do it for, for some big return. Um, but I think that's incredibly unlikely. I think that this team is in endeavors. I, I think, uh, it's their expectation that he's going to be their starting third baseman next season. And, and, you know, for the next six or seven seasons, um, and hopefully even longer than that. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that, um, you know, that that would happen. I think if you're going to trade Devers, then you're opening up, you know, Josh Donaldson or um, Adrian Beltre or somebody, um, you Don know, Arenado maybe. Well, I don't think the Rockies are going to, uh, you know, I don't think the Rockies are looking to trade anything. They're in the wild card right now. I think they're looking to acquire acquire players. But yet, I mean, you know, when you're when you're talking about a player of Devers' caliber. Um, you are talking about about big big name star players, and and we know that Dave Dombrowski loves those guys. Um, so there always is that um, that possibility. I think that um, that Dombrowski gets starstruck and and decides that you know this team needs one more piece, and let's win right now and worry about next year another time. 
Um, I mean, that's a pretty Dombrowski-ish uh, thought process, quite honestly. Um, so, you know, while last offseason, while people were saying that the Red Sox didn't need to get Chris Sale, they don't need Chris Sale, they don't need Chris Sale, I predicted the Red Sox would get Chris Sale for, for exactly that reason. Um, I'm so happy they did, by the way. I would trade that package of players for Chris Sale every day. It's uh, he's a, it, Sale is an absolute pleasure to watch. I think the... the uh, well, you know, the, the whole flags fly forever thing. So we can see how the next three years of Red Sox teams play out. Um, and, you know, that will be one deciding factor. And then you got to look at the other side. You know, you got to see how Moncada and, and Kopech and how their uh, careers turn out. Um, I'm still really, really high on on Moncada as it, it seems so is everybody else. I'm not breaking any ground with that for sure. Um, so, but anyway, um you know, as far as as far as the names that are available, um, and I actually wrote about this at BP Boston, um, should go up on Friday, which is probably I'm guessing when this podcast is going to come out. We're recording this on Thursday. Yep. Um, the there's a couple guys that that I that I really like, and they actually don't fall into that one year rental kind of uh, um, slot. Um, I mean, I think if you're talking about a one year rental, I think Todd Frazier might be your guy. Um, you know, he's got, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Um, he's got power, which the Red Sox don't seem to have. <laughs> um, he is play is improved over the course of the last couple months. He's looking, um, a lot better. I don't know if he was hampered by an injury or just having a couple down months for some reason to start the season, but it looks like he's gotten, gotten better in that, in that way. Um, and you know, he's not um, not an, a, an elite player or, or a huge name or anything like that. I think he's probably a pretty good fit um, for, for the Red Sox. Uh, but there are other guys um, that I like a lot better. I, I, <laughs> this, is, this, is, uh, this is pipe dream time on the uh, – <laughs> All right, let's hear it. I'm, I'm up for pipe dream time. By the way, I, 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 before you move into pipe dream time – I fully support now uh, the Todd Frazier move because mm-hmm. I think that Todd Frazier could be had incredibly cheap considering the fact that he's batting 213. Um, he does have that 333, I believe it is, OBP with 16 home runs. He's a capable enough defender. Yeah. I feel like he solves a tremendous amount of the Red Sox issues at the position at a really small cost so i'm i'm on board with that even though i don't think it's going to be an overwhelmingly positive transformational bat like maybe mike moustakis had more of a chance to be um but maybe there ends up not being that much difference between the two but but go on sorry i i I didn't mean to take away from your uh your your dreaming (laughs) no you're fine i i think um all all of what you say is correct um, you know, clearly Frazier's on the market because he's on the White Sox and everyone on the White Sox is on the market. Um, so uh, I, I think that is a, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, gr- a great fit. And I, you know, the, the one thing about it is I don't know what the White Sox are asking for, um, right. you know, as far as he goes. Uh, so Red Sox are still last in the AL in home runs as well with just 92 on the year. Right. Right. So, so that is definitely a thing. And, and, you know, presumably, um, you know, that can be, uh, uh, presumably Frazier can, can help them there. Um, and, you know, I think that it elongates their lineup, um, you know, and, and, uh, I think that that can really help you in the postseason too, when you're facing better pitchers. Um, you know, if you have a guy who can, who can pop one over the wall, um, you know, those are, those are runs. And honestly, right now the Red Sox, offense is set up where they need you know two or even three hits to score a run um and that is definitely a harder thing to do um than uh than hit you know than having the run already scored by one hit so right and they've got a tremendous amount of good obp guys on this team that could really kind of get on base in front of a guy like todd frazier oh yeah yeah if you have frazier batting like seven i mean i think that's that's, that's a nice setup but uh, no, my uh, pipe dream uh, time um, is uh, Adrian Beltre. Um, I'm so with you on that. 
<laughs> I love that guy. I wish the Red Sox had never gotten rid of Adrian Beltre. It's it's such an interesting um, you know thing to go back and look at because there were so many moving parts, um, and you know there was the expectation at the time that the Red Sox uh, you know would go out and get Adrian Gonzalez, which they eventually did. Um, you know, and, and Kevin Euclid could move from um, from first to third, which he had played before. Although, well, and not to get too deep into the weeds here, but um, but anyway, it, you know, it was definitely um, sort of a, a, a path they could have gone down: re-signing Beltre, keeping Euclid at first base, um, and in, in that instance, also uh, they have Anthony Rizzo. <laughs> Because <laughs> they haven't traded, maybe they trade him for someone else, but they haven't, they hadn't traded him, uh, you know, for for Gonzalez. So, and then the Cubs wouldn't have their World Series. <laughs> no, they'd have one this year instead. Um, uh, that but, was way too evil a laugh for <laughs> for that. Sorry, any Cubs fans. That's all right. I'm not a, C- a Cubs fan, so I don't care. Um, Adrian Beltre is awesome and wonderful and uh, a very easy guy to root for. He's also having a fantastic season. Um, the thing about it is he is signed, I believe, through next year um, at, uh, you know, some good money. Uh, he's 38 years old. And on top of that, um, the uh, Rangers, his his team now, the Rangers are three games out of the wild card in the, in the AL. So... Now there are a bunch of teams in between them and, and the wild card. So uh, it's debatable whether or not they'll look to sell. Um, they do have a below 500 record right now. So it's not out of the realm of possibility they might, they might look to, uh, you know, to do that. I know Darvish is going to be a free agent. Um, I think he can just opt out. I think that's what it is. Um, so, you know, they have some um, – you know they have, they have some decisions to make uh, this this off season and and even you know at the deadline. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I I do think that it's a uh, it's probably unlikely to happen. Um, yeah, I would agree. It would be amazing, and I think that it makes sense for that team. But I just do I do think it's a little unlikely right now. I just did a quick calculation just because I was curious as to how much war um, Beltre has accumulated since leaving the Red Sox and going to Texas. Um, <laughs> and, and per baseball prospectus, it would he would be worth 29.9 war through this point in the season, um, yeah. which would be an incredibly awesome signing. This he's guy's a, been... He's a Hall of Famer. He is. I was going to say, he's a Hall of Famer and and, and uh, just a damn pleasure to have on the team too. So, but don't uh, touch his head. No, uh, don't touch his head. Although um, that's one of the fun things about having Adrian Beltre. <laughs> it's inevitably <laughs> someone tries to touch his head. <laughs> anyway, uh, the other guy who is interesting uh, is uh, Nick Castellanos um, with the Tigers. He's their third baseman now. He is. Uh, he's only twenty-five. Um, which is kind of weird because he's this is his fourth year with the team um, as the starting third baseman, um, and he's never been great. Last year he was very good. Um, he was about a two-in player. Uh, he's not much of a walker, and he strikes out a you know a, a reasonable amount of, of time, but he's got some power. Uh, and this year his hard hit percentage has gone way up. Um, he's hitting the ball much harder than he ever has in his career. Um, his BABIP hasn't gone way up or, uh, yeah, it has not, uh, gone way up. Um, so I think that there may be some, some bad luck there. Uh, especially when you consider that he's, he, he hits the ball on the ground a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Now there are pluses and minuses to that. Obviously, a, a big, strong guy uh, who hits the ball really hard, you'd rather he hit it into the air. Uh, that's, that's where extra base hits are. Um, but, you know, if he's hitting the ball on the ground a bunch, then, you know, there should be more singles there. Um, and there's there's a lot of value in that, too. So uh, the, the thing about Castellanos is he's, like I said, 25, so he's under team control for uh, another couple years. Um I had it here. Let's see. When is he a free agent? I 
don't think he's a free agent for like two more years after this one. So, um, so you know, the Red Sox don't necessarily need him going forward, like we talked about, because they have Devers. Um, presumably, Devers will be up in Boston early next year. Um, so there's there's that. It's I, I don't know what you know. Uh, if he's the he's the most perfect fit, but I'm intrigued by his, uh, you know, I'm intrigued by him by by his skill set and, um, you know, because uh, he was a first round draft pick of the Tigers under Dombrowski, uh, I I think there's probably some connection there also. Yeah, so he has two arb years uh, left after this one, uh, 2018 and 2019, and becomes a free agent in 2020. I guess my question to you, um, with both of these guys, considering that Beltre and Castellanos are signed for more than just the remainder of this season, is why those guys, instead of just getting a rental and then turning the reins over to Devers? Well, I think... Uh, with a guy like Beltre, who will be, be 39 next year, you may not have. I mean, he he's already missed time this year, right? Mm-hmm. With I think I think you expect at 39 uh, that he's not going to necessarily play 160 games. You know, they could rotate him through the DH. They could put him at first base. Um, you know, his bat, at least as far as it stands right now, his bat is still fantastic. Um, so I, I don't think I think there's less of a concern. I think Beltre is maybe a better fit in that sense. Um, Castellanos is is a it's a bit tougher uh, to find uh, that exact fit. I'm I'm more intrigued by him as a player, and the the Dombrowski connection uh, is interesting to me. But I don't know that that that's such a, a you know a fantastic um, idea ultimately. Mm. Uh, just just because of that, just because of that reason, Un- unless they decided. You know, to move Castellanos to first base, um, you know, I don't know. And there's also the the fact that the Red Sox, I mean, you know, we're talking about Devers and there's the rumors are that he's going to be promoted, um, you know, very soon, within a couple of days, up to AAA, um, and we're in mid-July. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Devers is up in September. Right. Yeah, and the reason for that, and we haven't stated this yet on the show, is that Johnny Peralta was released uh, – today thursday as we're recording this uh by the team so it's expected that friday as you're listening to this devers will be promoted um and the team does expect to also make a decision on pablo sandoval by monday as reported by uh, tim Britton at the providence journal so there's a lot of uh answering of questions that is seemingly happening happening at third base to kind of get the team ready for whatever move that they're about to make yeah that's true i the, the other thing with devers though is he, uh, you know, he succeeded at every level, but he's, uh, you know, up, up through double A. I mean, you know, obviously, there's lots of levels to go. Um, but, you know, he has gone through slumps periodically. He's not, you know, uh, necessarily, you know, the world's most perfect hit the hit the ground running guy so far in his career. Um, so I think there's reason to, uh, you know, to expect some bumps as he moves up a level um, and the same you know, fourth uh, could be said for when he gets promoted to the majors. Um, and then there's the fact that the Red Sox may want to gain his service time, which means that he may not start the, the year next season with the Red Sox. He might be in AAA for the next, you know, for the first, I forget, month or so. Um, so the Red Sox get that seventh year of, of team control. Um, so, it, you know, it makes sense to have somebody else where, uh, you know, on the roster where you're not necessarily relying on, um, a guy who's 20 years old in a double a right now immediately. Right. Um, that's, that's where having somebody, you know, like a Beltre where, where you don't have to promote Devers, you're not stuck doing it. Um, you know, might, might work out. That's, that's just one way to look at it. Um, you know, there's obviously, uh, you know, Devers is an elite prospect and maybe, you know, and the Red Sox surely have a lot more information about this, um, and hopefully, uh, strong opinions about it. And, know whether or not this is you know something that they'd want to do uh one way or the other i think you know this trade deadline is sort of like the uh the the holy point of demarcation or whatever um as far as that goes you know are are they going to pin their hopes to uh to devers starting in in uh, 2018 or 
you know, or, or is there going to be someone, someone holding that spot, keeping it warm for them, like, like a Beltre or like a Prado, uh, kind of hoping to get Prado, uh, or, or something, something like that, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think that you're right. We will know how much confidence they have in him as a young player. And if the team's history is any indication, um, they've been fairly aggressive with their young guys in the past. So my expectation is that they will go for a rental player if they go for a player. But I, I think one of the takeaways that I got from, you know, doing some research on some of the guys that are out there, and I know you just did this same exercise with the article that you wrote, was that aside from Todd Frazier and Moustakis, and Moustakis seemingly not available right now, the rentals didn't provide a whole lot of power. And for the guys that are signed for multi-year contracts, the few guys that do hit for a lot of power are going to be extremely expensive. And then the rest of these guys, I mean, they're essentially slap hitters with, you know, Prado at this point and Howie Kendrick and, you know, Escobar and I guess Lowry and Solarte can do a little bit more. But I mean, these are not really impressive bats that we're talking about. So if the Red Sox don't go out and sign either or a trade for, I should say, um, you know, a big bopper like Frazier for a half a year or go out and sign one of the guys that you were talking about or trade for one of those guys that you were talking about who's controllable for a couple years, I would rather the team just stand pat with what they have because I think that the combination of Marrero and Su Wei Lin is going to give you a, a worse bat, no doubt, than some of the guys that I just mentioned. But like, how much worse? I, I'm not sure that it's that much more noticeable, and I'd rather give Devers you know, a month or two in AAA and then see what he can do later in the year than go out and acquire one of these players. Man, I think it's so hard for them to do that. They are so in on winning this season. I mean, they, you, know, you saw what we, we were talking about, what they dealt for sale. And you have sale for this year, next year, and the following year, and that's you know that then you maybe you still have him, but you know at a massively increased cost. You know David Price looks good, um, you know, but he may be gone after next year. Um, you know guys like Betts and Bogarts, uh, you know, are going to start to get expensive really fast. Um, I, I think I think they want to win this year, and uh, I think they have a pretty good shot to do it. I think they match up pretty well with the Astros. Um, I, I think, uh, I don't see how they can possibly continue to run out Devin Marrero and Sue Lin or Pablo Sandoval as a starting third baseman. I just can't see that. Like, I totally agree with Sandoval, but couldn't they conceivably just push up Devers' timeline? They did that with Ben Intendi. They did that with Moncada. Um, yeah. They did that with Bogarts, like right. So let's look at all those three. I think those are all very instructive examples. Um, you know, Benintendi uh, was a college bat, a, a guy who um, you know was uh, flashed both patience and not flash, but was a patient and powerful hitter in the minor leagues. Um, you know, he was he was really. Uh, it was hard to to think of a, a guy who was more prepared to step into the majors um, when he did. And then you get a guy like Moncada, who um, you know has a lot of tools, but is maybe a little more raw than you would like. And we saw that in Boston when he was up. I mean, the Red Sox badly wanted him to be their third baseman. You know, they handed him the job. Um, I think Farrell literally said it. He's going to be our starting third baseman. And then we he had this identical discussion about Moncada last year, and I remember we had an argument about it too. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and who was right about that? You, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Um, so uh, you know, and, and then you know, we saw Mancata, you know, fail almost as as much as as a prospect can fail stepping into a major league role like that. Um, and it doesn't say anything about him long term. But the Red Sox aren't dealing with long term; they're dealing with short term. They need somebody who can play the position right now. Um, and then the third guy you brought up. Um, is Xander Bogarts and and Bogarts is sort of in the middle of those two. He performed incredibly well when they brought him up in 2013, but then um, in 2014 he fell off a cliff and and right. you know, was completely unable to um, you know to hit. So to be fair, he did get a little time in AAA too. He wasn't one of the guys that made the jump. 
from double A right to that's, the majors. That's true. Good point. Yes, that's true. Yeah. But I, I think that the thing here is that um, there's a reason why Devers was the player kept in the, the Chris Sale deal as well, because I think the Red Sox think a little bit more about Devers's bat long term um, than they did Moncada's. And I think they are a little bit of a different skill set. Moncada has always had that swing and miss um, yeah. to his game, whereas Devers has a little bit more of a polished feel for hitting. Um, yeah, I think so, that's very fair to say. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting. I think my ultimate trade deadline is that they acquire uh, Todd Frazier cheap and that they are able to address uh, adding one more right-handed pitcher uh, to to their bullpen. Um not at a high cost. I would, if if the cost is going to be high, and I think this maybe we can segue towards relief um, now, I would rather the team not do it and look at guys like Austin Maddox and Brandon Workman and Kyle Martin and uh, maybe even lefties like Jalen Beeks or Edgar Olmos uh, down at AAA to come up and, and fill in some of those gaps in the bullpen. Um, how about you? What's What's your ultimate deadline for the team? Yeah, I think if you can get a guy like like Frazier, I, I, or even if you can get a guy like Beltre without giving up anyone incredibly substantial, um, I, I have this feeling that Michael Chavis is, is going to get traded. And I've been trying, I've, I'm very excited about Michael Chavis, um, and I, I've sort of liked him, uh, his skill set since, the, since they drafted him. And so I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for this. <laughs> it's going to make me sad. Um, but I feel like he's sort of the ultimate Dombrowski trade chip. Uh, he's a guy who's performed exceptionally well, but he has, um, a, uh, you know, a, a pedigree as a first round draft pick. And, um, and now all of a sudden he's hitting lights out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and he's got no defensive position still that we can really say he's a hundred percent locked into for his future. Yes. Yes, that's the other thing about it, um, which is a great point, Jake, uh, that, you know, there are enough, uh, there's enough uncertainty underneath the surface that is, but it's, it's hidden by, you know, the shine off of his, uh, you know, his slugging percentage and his home run totals and, um, you know, the way he's playing right now. Um, and so, yeah, I, my guess is that he's going to he's going to be gone. And, it, and as we talked about before, it wouldn't shock me if uh, Sam Travis were, were also gone. So I, you know, do those guys get you Adrian Beltre? I don't know. Um, they're both pretty decent prospects. Um, nothing on the level of, you know, Yon Moncada or Michael Kopech, but they're, you know, I think, I think pretty good prospects. Um, so I, you know, I don't know what you get for those guys. Um, but I imagine we're going to find out. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that it, you know, it's not Michael Chavis for Todd Frazier. Uh, I, I, it's always, it's always with, with Dombrowski, it's always more than I think it's going to be, and that's that's like the, you know, we talked about this with with Chris Hatfield of Sox prospects. It's not, you know, it's not necessarily the the deal itself. It's the fact that the Red Sox just end up giving up one more guy than you'd right. like. To. Yeah, that that definitely has been the knock on Dombrowski. But, I mean, at this point, um, all he has to do is point to his track record with the Red Sox. And I think that really, at this point, the only trade that you can conceivably say that Dave Dombrowski has lost is the Tyler Thornburg trade. That's a pretty big loss. Uh, but It is, but he's had four great wins, too. You know, Chris Sale, Craig Kimbrell. Um, I, I think you've got to uh, give... Um, the well, the Espinosa for Pomerantz deal, you have to say that's a win now too. I think with all of these things, we're so quick t- to call winner loser, and you really have to wait much longer than any of us want to, myself included. Right. Uh, I mean, just because Espinosa hasn't pitched this year because of you know I think he's got an elbow impingement or something, and, and he hasn't thrown off a mound this year. You know, that doesn't mean he's not going to be a great major league pitcher. It also doesn't mean he will be, you know. In fact, it's probably uh, a net negative as far as whether, you know, or not his uh, where his future ends up. But I don't think you can call that deal closed. Um, you know, and, and, you know, similarly for, for the Thornburg deal, I mean, would the Red Sox be better off with Shaw at third base? 
well, yeah, sure, they would be. Um, Shaw still can't hit left-handed pitching. Um, you know, there's he's he's not the complete player that he's necessarily getting made out to be. Now, Milwaukee can afford to run him out there and not let that, you know, worry him. But I don't know that that he would be. Um, I don't know that he was ever the guy that Dombrowski felt comfortable um, putting out there. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I think that you you certainly need some some more time to address these deals in totality. I mean, I guess until Pomerantz's contract runs out and Espinosa is uh, at the point where he's no longer under team control, uh, that's when you can really judge a deal like that. But in until then, I think what he's done through these trades is he's made it a whole lot harder for people like me to complain about what he's done when a guy like Pomerantz is performing particularly well uh, at a time when the Red Sox really need him. I think you know, when, when you look at where the asset is, right? Like, what benefit would it be to this team to have uh, Espinosa in uh, single A or, or double A with an injury right now to the Red Sox. But we've nope. seen the massive benefit that Pomerantz has given the team at a point where the team is trying to contend right now. So I think that's what sways it, uh, in, in Dave Dombrowski's favor is the current context of now and what the Red Sox are trying to accomplish. Well, it's, I, I think you hit a, hit a nail on the head there. It's a, it's a total trade-off, right? You're, you're taking, uh, something for now at the expense of something later. So how do the Red Sox look five years from now? Um, you know, this those kind of trades, I think, work much better on a team like the Red Sox that has financial oomph behind them, um, you know, that they can make up for, uh, for the lack of prospect depth by going out on the market and, you know, bringing in guys to fill in holes in the organization. Um, you know, and, and we've seen you know, the quality of, you know, the overall quality of the farm farm system. I mean, it's not a, um, it doesn't have to be the priority that, that maybe it does for a team like the Rays or, um, you know, or, or any other team even that isn't, uh, you know, so destitute as the Rays. Um, the Red Sox probably need their farm system less than most other teams do. Yeah. Um, Although anyway, Fangraphs did that that study that said that they did they have drafted the best out of any team uh, in terms of WAR over the last like what they cover 10, 15 years with that. You you recall the the article that I'm talking about from recently? I, do, I think they were second, um, and I think it, they were second behind the Angels. Is that right? Because of Mike Trout. I don't know. I I thought the article that I looked at they were first by a pretty substantial margin. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Um, yeah. Well, maybe maybe there's something there for the, for the listeners to look up. But um, it wouldn't stop me. Um, getting Mookie Betts in whatever it was the, I don't know, the fifth round or twelfth round. I don't remember. That's uh, that's gotta it's gotta help on the ledger too. Yeah, that makes your draft pretty successful. <laughs> um, let me ask you about Shavis though. Would you be willing to move a guy like Shavis? Uh, straight up for a relief pitcher like a Pat Nishak or a Brad Hand, uh, someone like that that could come in and conceivably really fill a need for this team in the eighth inning uh, down the stretch? Um, I don't know how great either of those guys are. They're both probably better than um, you know who the Red Sox have in the eighth inning right now. So, yeah, I mean, I don't as a general rule, I don't love trades like that just because you're you're giving up so many years of control of a guy whose bat, you know, may play in so many different places. Um, but, you know, as we've talked about, I, I get the sense that that this is <laughs> this is probably the time when when uh, Chavis is going to is going to end up somewhere else. And, you know, the Red Sox badly need someone else in, in the in the eighth inning. Um, it's kind of a shame that. Uh, you know, Thornburg's gone and Carson Smith doesn't seem to be able to get off the DL. And, um, you know, I, Joe Kelly, man, I just, I just don't see him. Uh, honestly, I, anytime he's in the game, I'm, I'm terrified. And the same is true of, um, uh, Matt, Matt Barnes, uh, both those guys just, 
scared the crap out of me. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I would expect that, uh, that they'll go and get somebody definitely to, to fill that role because, um, they, they, they need somebody besides those two guys. Well, we better buckle up for whatever that cost is going to be because we know that Dave Dombrowski likes trading for guys at the peak of their value, uh, especially at relief pitcher. So uh, I, I think the one thing working in the favor of the Red Sox this year is that there are kind of a tremendous amount of rental options out on the market right now. So maybe that market won't be quite as competitive as it has been in the past. I mean... Wade Davis, uh, Addison Russell, Bud Norris, uh, Sung Juan Oh, um, Juan Casio, Pat Neshek. Yeah. Um, the list goes on and on and on of guys who would come in here and, and help the baseball team. Um, so hopefully it won't be that much. And if, if it is an impact guy like that, I'll tell you what, I'll drive Chavis to the airport. Um, <laughs> because well, well, he's a good player. I mean, I... I don't find anybody on the current Red Sox in the current Red Sox farm system aside from Devers to be truly untouchable, and that includes Jason Grom at this point. Um, I think there's enough concern about Grom. I don't know if you saw, but Jason Grom's dad uh, got arrested yeah. yesterday. With... You know what? Like, he's not his dad, and he's not responsible for the stupid stuff his dad does. I don't think you can hold that against him. No, you you can't. But you, you get an idea of like some of the off field concerns that that came with this guy, and you know off field concerns aside, he's still an eighteen year old pitcher or nineteen year old pitcher at this point. Um, so pretty well though, and you know his last uh, three or four starts have been pretty dominant. Um, sure, I'm, I'm excited about him. I, I can't imagine Dombrowski trading him now. I, I don't think there's anywhere near the the value. Um, that, you know, if, if he waits, um, and, and considering the, um, you know, the lack of, of pitching depth in the Red Sox system, it just doesn't make sense when you could deal a guy like, like Chavis, um, who I think is more, you know, is, is a much more of a certain certainty as far as teams go. So he, he may be more, I mean, I, you just don't usually see 19 year old pitchers get dealt it doesn't happen very often yeah no i totally agree with you i think that his, his value is not at its high point and i don't think he'll get moved i'm just saying that i'm not going to um freak out about it the same way that i would um you know a rafael devers yeah. if he's included in the right deal essentially have you looked at at brad hand's numbers since he went to like he was with the marlins in 2014 and 2015 and then he went to the Padres in 2016 and 2017. Mm-hmm. So I haven't researched this at all, um, but I just pulled up his his page. Um, with the Marlins in 2014, um, let's see. Yeah, he was pitching substantial innings. He threw 111 innings, um, and he was – oh, that's why. He was a starter. <gasps> yeah, he was a failed starter for a while. Okay, so there's it. So yeah, he was striking out. He struck out 14% of the batters he faced in 2014 while walking 8%. And then in 2015 with the Marlins, he struck out 16% of the batters he faced while walking 8%. And then the Padres got him and moved him to the bullpen. And last year, the Padres, he struck out 30% of the batters he was facing, and he walked 10%. And this year, he's striking out 32% of the batters he's facing, and he's walking 7%. Yep, I'd drive Chavis to the airport for this guy. Yeah, so yeah, there may be there may be something to that. I don't know. Um, I think he would look pretty great in the back of the Red Sox uh, pen, no question about it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps things up for us um, for this week's show. Um, anything you want to touch on before we get out of here, Matt? Uh, no, I, I imagine though that the next time you and I chat, the Red Sox will look a little bit different. They sure will. Um, well, they should. Uh, and I think they will based on Dave Dombrowski's track record. And really, um, stay tuned into this show um, and uh, the BP Boston page in the next coming week or two weeks uh, before the trade deadline um, comes in here because there's going to be a whole lot of flurry of activity, and we will be reporting on all of that for you guys. And uh, especially follow us on Twitter at, at times like this. You can find Matt again at MattyMatty2000. You can find me at, at DevJake. 
uh, we will try to uh, retweet and bring you uh, all of the latest Red Sox happenings and things like that and give our uh, very special takes on everything that the team does. And you'll probably get some really hot takes on Dave Dombrowski as well, uh, depending on who he decides to trade here and if he decides to trade for a reliever and uh, gives up someone crazy. So uh, <laughs> let's let's hope that doesn't happen. But um for everybody out there, you can find us, our podcast. You can follow find us on Twitter. I'm sorry, uh, on Stitcher and iTunes. Sorry, you can find us individually on Twitter. You can download our episodes there. You can also subscribe to us. That's the best thing to do. So it just automatically goes to your phone. Uh, and you can also rate and review us there. Uh, I will remind you all that you can send in a question uh, to the Red Seat. You can do that via email. You can do uh, the email address is theredseat at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, or you can just submit it via the question box that pops up on any of the Red Seat episodes on our website. So, uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Matt, thanks for joining me and giving us some insight into this third base situation and, and the dread deadline. Yeah, man, always good to talk ball with you.